The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure to be with you, to have so many guests here today, and to uh, uh, tell you to head into the weekend and have a good time. Um, I hope that you have a good weekend. I just want to say on behalf of uh, Dawn and I, who are actually uh, celebrating our 32nd wedding anniversary today. Um, that's, that's just a shameless plug, so when she listens to the podcast, she'll know I didn't forget. Um, but we want to thank you for being at the garden party last week, and for, uh, it was just a, we had a, we had a ball. Um, and I hope that you did too, and we're already looking forward to uh, next year's. And I want to thank all of you as students for uh, a great, making homecoming a great weekend. Uh, not just those of you who competed on the courts and fields, uh, but also those of you who volunteered around the various places around the university, and we're here to just enjoy the time together uh, with the alumni. I've heard from so many people who were blessed by last weekend, and uh, the energy was great. The staff in all of the respective areas did a great job putting together a wonderful weekend, but it was made even more special by your uh, significant presence and participation in the weekend. So thank you very much for that. Uh, we thank the Lord for you. Uh, we're thankful for these guests. We're praying for you that the Lord would grant you wisdom as you think about uh, the next leg of life's journey and where you might study. Uh, as Dean Porcello said, chapel's an integral part of what we do at Cairn University. It's an opportunity for us to gather together. Uh, it is a, uh, something that we were talking about on the way down the steps. Uh, Dr. Mikulak and I were talking about uh, uh, how this is different from so many other places. Most of my colleagues in other institutions that don't have chapel are envious of the fact that we have centering points, gathering points like chapel, where we come together and uh, can talk uh, in familia, as it were, uh, amongst our family. And uh, that's really what chapel is, an opportunity for us to gather together. And this morning, I'm really excited to continue uh, in this series, Sound Judgment, Thinking Biblically About the Disciplines of Mind and Heart. Uh, last time that I was with you was homecoming, and we talked a little bit about my story and uh, uh, my relationship to the school as an alum. But before that, we introduced this series, and we talked about the need for sound judgment coming from Ephesians, that we would not walk in the futility of our minds, but understand that we are different from those who do not know Jesus, and that that sound judgment about who we are should inform the way we think and feel. What I'm trying to do is lay out a case that we would start to think in a very responsible and thorough and thoughtful way about our interactions with others in the world around us, that we would not find ourselves buying into the myth that we are to be simply subjects to our whimsy and reaction to circumstances, people, ideas, but that we would learn to be measured and mature and wise and careful. I think that that's very important, as I said last time that we talked about this, because we live in a culture that is given to reacting and responding to things, one, in an unfiltered way, that you say whatever you want, or that you act in whatever ways that you feel uh, are, are appropriate for yourself, without consideration for others or some higher standard, but also that the, that the world in which we live affects our sensibilities, the way we think about things, and the way we think about thinking, and the way we think about thinking and feeling. And today what I want to do is talk about something that, as I promised in the opening of the series, something very practical. 
As the passage was read, you can imagine where we're going. You can keep your Bibles open there to James. I'll be in that passage and briefly in Ephesians as well, because I want to talk today about this issue of anger. It's very difficult to think about talking about the disciplines of mind and heart for us as human beings without dealing with specific emotions. And so throughout the series, I'll tease out some specific things that we deal with and some specific examples from the Scripture. And today I want to talk about this issue of anger and what we do with it, how we should think about it, how we should uh, deal with it in our lives. And I want to talk about it in very practical ways, but also in ways, as I said before, that I hope are penetrating. I shared with you last time that this is a series where I'm entering with a little bit of hesitation because I don't want to offend you, but I do want to provide for you strong medicine because the Scripture gives us strong medicine with regard to our our thoughts and our feelings. We're not permitted to sort of act and think and feel impulsively with no excuse. Uh, we, 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 We can't do that. The Bible actually calls us to self-control, to wisdom, to being measured, to being thoughtful, to being caring, all of those things. We're not permitted as followers of Jesus Christ to simply act out in whatever way we feel like acting out. The Christian life is about more than that. And sometimes that means taking some strong medicine, being confronted with the ways in which we would rather not be subject to God's expectations for our thinking and our feeling of things. We'd rather just be left to do whatever we want, but that's not really the way of the Christian. So today I want to talk about this issue of anger. When we think about the disciplines of mind and heart, I think, when we think about the disciplines of mind and heart, we're confronted by the issues of thinking wrongly and carelessly about things, about ourselves, about others. But we're also confronted by the issue of impulse, reacting without thinking. We feel something, and so we act on it. But this can get us into trouble. It can get us into big trouble. Acting without thinking, acting on an impulse is problematic. It's just as problematic as thinking wrongly. Remember, last time we talked about this idea that Paul exhorts us to have sound judgment. That is to recognize our our own sinfulness, to be honest with ourselves, but also to understand we are the redeemed ones bought with a price. That God loves us and cares for us. All of that is part of sound judgment. We want to think rightly, and thinking wrongly can get us into trouble. Thinking carelessly about things and people and ourselves is problematic. But today I want to talk about this issue of how that thinking converges with the issue of impulse. Reacting without thinking. We feel something and so we act. And this can get us into trouble. I saw someone get into trouble yesterday on the road driving because of this. Traffic was horrible yesterday. I was on, it was, the rain was horrible. It was, just, it was just a horrible day on the road yesterday. And I was on the turnpike heading east, and people were zipping in and out, and I saw someone cut someone off, and this person got mad, and I watched him clinch the steering wheel, lean forward, and hit the gas. Just as he hit the gas to go forward, the cars in front of him came to a standstill. And he plowed into the car there, and I kind of went around him and, <laughs> you know. You did it to yourself, right? You acted on impulse. How dare he cut me off? I'm going to tailgate him. You're, you tailgated him in the back seat. I mean, there's sort of a sense that like, that's problematic. Acting on impulse, we all know, practically speaking, when you act on impulse, you get yourself into trouble. And anger is that kind of impulsive thing that we find sort of part of our lives, and it's a problem for us. 
Ask anybody who's, who's played a sport. Playing angry is not the best way. I, I played sports. I remember coaches saying, you've got to calm down. You can't play angry. You will make mistakes. I remember a, a, a boxing coach. You can't box angry. If you box someone who knows what they're doing and you're angry, you will get taken apart. You can't act angry. You'll get yourself into trouble. That's a reality in the world around us. And there's a spiritual reality to it as well. We have to be very careful just because we feel something, we want to act on it, but it will get us into trouble. The dilemma with anger is that it's just so organic to our human experience. And all of us in the room have different perspectives on it, different experiences with it. You come from different families. You come from different cultures. You come with different dispositions. Some of you, uh, some of you have friends that wonder, what do I have to do to get him or her mad? And others of you know that you have friends who are what you'd call short-fused. Everything sets them off. We come at this from different places, different experiences. I'll never forget, it's my anniversary, and I was thinking about it this morning. My wife and I, when we were dating, we come from two very different kinds of families. Both have anger, but they deal with them in different ways. I grew up in a very loud family. Uh, It was almost a no-holds-barred approach. Right? You said what was ever on your mind. It was loud and it was confrontational and there was no question when someone was upset. My wife came from a much quieter family where it wasn't that they were angry, it's just that anger was expressed in silence. When I visited her family, I had no idea what was wrong with these people. Right? If you're mad, let it show, right? If you're happy and you know it, let it show. If you're mad and you know it, let it show, right? But in my wife's family, everything is much more quiet and subdued. If someone's mad at you, they don't necessarily express it that way. When my wife came to visit my family, that was almost the end of it. (laughs) Because no one had any, you never had to wonder about where my parents were with each other and who was angry. And you know that. All you have to do is, is look around that we all have those kind of different experiences and different perspectives and different cultures and different personal dispositions. The trouble is that how we handle anger is so often learned and so hard to unlearn if it's problematic. Because it's something we do as our personal nature interacts with our context, our family, friends, and culture. But listen, we delude ourselves and one another into thinking it's just the way it is and we have no responsibility or ability to do things differently. That's a lie. That's a lie. Yes, anger is real, but we are not sentenced to be its servants. And the Bible's very clear about this. It's very clear about this. Family differences, cultural differences, personal dispositions aside, anger's a very real problem for us as human beings. But God expects us not just to experience it, but to deal with it rightly. And I would say this. It's important for you to know that, that it isn't feeling angry that undoes us. That fellow yesterday on the turnpike didn't get himself into trouble by getting mad at the person who cut him off. He got himself into trouble because he acted on getting mad at the person who cut him off. It isn't just feeling angry that undoes us. It's what we do with it. And listen, neither pushing it down or letting it loose is biblical. The Bible teaches us to be angry and yet do not sin. See, God knows the destructive power of anger and loves you and I enough to warn us and give us another way. In fact, in Ephesians, we read this. 
He says, Paul says to the Christians there in verse 26 of the fourth chapter, Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. The Apostle Paul knew writing to Christians, a good group of Christians, in a good church where the gospel was preached and there was evidence of ministry. Listen, do not, do not be angry and sin. So he's acknowledging the fact that you're going to be angry, but he's saying don't let your anger become the impetus for sin. And don't let the sun go down, we'll talk about that, on your anger. In other words, do not keep a long record, do not hold grudges, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And listen, don't give the devil an opportunity. In the first of these sessions, remember I said we struggle with these fears and apprehensions of our life in this world. We're, 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 we're encumbered by our past, we're preoccupied with our present, we're worried about our future. At the same time, that's colliding with our struggle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Paul says here to the Christians, don't give the devil an opportunity. And anger is a foothold that he loves to take advantage of. And so this this exhortation about anger is a very real one. Paul recognizes even in a good church it's there. And he says, look, you're going to be angry, but don't let your anger lead you to sin. God knows the destructive power of it. He warns us here and he gives us a better way. I've often wrestled with this. What does it mean, be angry but don't sin? Well, one of the things I've often thought is, well, this is just a justification of what we call righteous anger or righteous indignation. I think it's more than that. I think that Paul is acknowledging that as humans, we're going to get angry. I have people in my life and have had people in my life who like to sanctify the language, you know. Um, we used to always tease my dad when he was alive that, Dad, you know, you, you don't worry about this. You shouldn't worry. He says, I don't worry. Worry's a sin. I'm just concerned, Right? And people do this all the time and say, you know, I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated, right? Yeah, you're so frustrated, you're putting holes in the wall. Like, that's real frustration. That's, that's not just frustration, right? Frustration is you can't get the crossword puzzle for the morning or, or you, got, you got slowed down in the Chick-fil-A line, okay? Anger, like you say, you say look, I, I, I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. You call it what you want, right? The Bible acknowledges the reality of anger. Be angry. You're going to be angry, but don't sin. Now, there is a righteous anger. And I want to be clear on this. One of the things I think that's really problematic for us today in this society is you get to express personal anger and outrage, but there's no moral outrage. And that's a problem. There is such a thing as righteous anger. And when that's manifest in a godly manner and for the right reasons, listen, this displays in us the image of God as his created ones. God's anger is real. You can't pretend it isn't. God's anger is real. It's revealed in the Scripture, and it's always right. There is a place for us to be outraged, but not without reason, not for ourselves, and not without awareness of our own broken and sinful nature. So when Paul says here to the church, be angry but do not sin, he's acknowledging the reality of our human experience and emotion to be angry. He's also, I think, talking about this idea of righteous anger, which we should find. We should be outraged at certain things in the world around us. Now, what we do with it is another issue. But the personal side of it is a problem. Because it just, it just, anger lays in the tall grass waiting for you. It wants to grab you by the ankles and pull you down. And I recognize that some of you are in here saying, I have a real issue with anger. Others of you saying, you know what, I, 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 I don't have an issue with anger. I never lose my temper. I just push it down till it burns me up from the inside out. 
And others of you say, I never get angry about anything. Look, if that's because it's a manifestation of self-control and the spirit at work in you and spiritual maturity, great. But if it's because you don't care because you've given up on being angry and dealing with your emotions, that's not a good thing either. And so what happens to us is we're going to live this life. We have to be honest. And here's the thing, outrage and seething bitterness, whether it's an outrageous outburst where you lose your temper because you're angry or you push it all down and you seethe with bitterness, outrage and seething bitterness, they're fruits of the same seed. Anger undealt with will eat you up from the inside out. And anger expressed without reservation belies not only a lack of self-control, but a disregard for others and the Lord. And these are, at their very root, spiritual problems. That's what we need to deal with. If we're going to think biblically about the disciplines of mind and heart, we have to see the spiritual roots of these things. It isn't necessarily unspiritual to find yourself getting angry. It is, however, unspiritual to become bitter or to become someone who can't control their temper or anger. And I think this is the problem with it, if you think about the way that anger works. The problem with anger is that it's usually impulsive and invasive. It doesn't always come by the slow boil, but often the short fuse and the quick temper. Like school kids on the schoolyard kicking one another in the shins. We lash out and then strike back. But there's a better way. And biblical wisdom calls for pausing. James 1.19 actually says this. It calls us to be slow to anger. So if I was thinking about this in terms of what I'm going to ask you is to think about is this, is the issue of anger and the power of pausing. Because the Bible actually outlines this wisdom for us in the passage that Dean Porcello read. It outlines for us this idea of being slow to anger, of stopping and pausing the problem is we either get, we get to the point where we're, 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 we're acting out of impulse. You know, some of you know this. I don't tell a lot of these stories in this venue, but um, I got my start in teaching, teaching horsemanship and training horses. And I watched something happen one day. Uh, uh, somebody that was actually, that I was working with, who was a pretty seasoned horse trainer, um, it, but also uh, had a, a bit of a temper now, the thing is, when a human temper collides with a thousand-pound animal the brain, with a brain the size of a walnut or your fist, trouble usually ensues, right? And I remember watching this happen one day where the horse was, was acting out. He was scared, but he was, because he's scared, what horses do is they strike out. They either pull back, kick, strike out with their front hooves. The horse was scared. He wasn't behaving. He wasn't calm in the thing we were asking him to do, which was trimming. And I watched this person with a pair of scissors in his hand uh, hitting the horse to get them to back up. And he got so angry at one point that he just swung back in in a fit of outrage because he and the horse were engulfed in this clash of wills. And he struck that horse in the eye with those scissors. Hold on. The horse went blind. He didn't die. The horse went blind in one eye. That's a hard lesson to learn about controlling one's anger because the impact on another creature impresses on you the, the, the gravity of your irresponsibility. And I watched that happen in front of me and determined that as I moved forward in my career in that profession, I was going to do my level best to not train angry. And I have to tell you something. We shouldn't parent angry either. A wise person told me one time, never discipline your kids in anger. 
back off, take a breath, calm down. I wish I could say I never had it happen, but it's not true. We're human. But listen, that's the reality. We act impulsively. It comes on us without control. And it, 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 it's devastating because it has impact on others around us. It didn't just happen there in training those horses. It happens in parenting. It happens in coaching. There was a, a famous uh, Division I basketball coach who was known for his outbursts and his anger, throwing furniture, slapping players. And everybody sort of accepted it as his persona, but real damage is done when your anger is left uncontrolled like that. But in the same way those impulses are problematic, brooding on things, dwelling on things, talking it up with others, fuels a fire that destroys. So whether it's impulsive or it's the brooding kind, which Paul warns about in Ephesians by saying, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. There's a convergence of thinking and feeling here that we need to be aware of. They're tied together. Awareness and being honest with ourselves is required. But we must want something different in order for that to work. So whether you're given to impulse or you're a person who broods, you must be careful about this anger thing because it destroys. And we have great examples of it in the Scripture, and no more prominent example than King Saul. When King Saul had his relationship with God's prophet, remember, things went really well with him. And as soon as that relationship got strained and he began to be threatened by David, remember when he come, David comes back and the women were singing, oh, Saul's slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. All of a sudden, Saul's outrage from the brooding and the impulsive kind leads him to throw a spear at David twice to drive him out, to want to kill him, to send him into battle where he thought he might be killed in battle so he'd be rid of that young upstart. Saul's emotions and his anger got the better of him. It destroyed him from the inside out. It was both the brooding kind and the impulsive kind. It's destructive. It will ruin you. And it will do damage to everyone around you. I'm reminded, I think about this movie we watched when I was a teenager, Red Dawn, and there's this one character who's just angry about what happened and his family being killed and someone says kid you got to let all that hatred go you can't keep that bottled up inside and the kid turns and says it keeps me warm at night we're holding on to things and we're reacting to things and it's purely an issue of self-preservation and self-orientation but God calls us to something greater than that and this has to be dealt with in a very practical way look at what James says here Know this, my beloved brother. So he's talking to Christian. Know this. Know this. Understand this. Think on this. Apply this. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The flip side of that is the anger of man produces unrighteousness. And so the dilemma here is what James is saying is, look, be, be, let everybody know this and understand this and comprehend it, regardless of your family background, regardless of your disposition, regardless of your culture, know this, every person should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James is calling us in all sincerity to exercise biblical wisdom and to pause. And the power of pausing provides us an opportunity to pray, to reflect, to consider, to seek counsel, to cool off. This is an act of godly maturity. 
Being quicker to hear than we are to speak and to be angry produces the righteousness of God. Being impulsively angry or broodingly angry never does. Never does. Um, you know, the, the, the saying goes, and John Van Epp did it when he was here. He says, you know, how many of you have said it is what it is, right? Uh, we're all human. Uh, all those things are true. It is what it is, and we are all human. So? It's not an excuse. It's a reality. It doesn't excuse your behavior. We are all human. We all struggle with this. Whatever the emotional issue is, whether you're someone who says, well, really, anger's not my issue, and others of you say that, it, that would know that it is. If anger's not your issue, you know somebody who, for whom it is an issue. And this is the reality. We struggle with this. Well, what do we do? Well, one of the things we can do is, is take this biblical advice to pause. And you should be speaking into one another's lives about this. You shouldn't be ramping one another up. Yeah, I can't believe that happened to you. If that was me, I'd do this. You know, that, that's how criminals are formed, <laughs> right? And we don't do that, right? Pause. I have some very wise friends who work here who, who I, I, I've now, after so many years, come to the point where I write an email because something upsets me and say, should I send this or not? Eh, wait till tomorrow. I can't tell you how many times I've deleted the next morning what I wrote the day before. But when you start thinking, well, it's my right to express it, the issue is, what? Where's that written down? Life, liberty, and the right to express your outrage. Not really written down that way in the foundational documents of the country, and I'm having trouble finding a Bible verse to justify it either. But that kind of libertine view of our emotions is not just problematic for society, it's problematic for us as Christians. That's not our right. Bible says, pause. It's not easy. It's not easy. We need grace, which God gives freely, doesn't He? We need His divine enablement to do this. We need the Spirit, which indwells us, and the Word, which teaches us. And brothers and sisters, we need each other. When the Scripture talks about exhorting one another and encouraging one another to love and good deeds, I'm telling you that includes helping one another see the futility of your own anger and encouraging one another to pause, to pray, reflect, consider, to cool off. It does not mean we are not outraged for the right reasons at the right times. But when someone kicks you in the shin, the response is not to kick them back harder because you're angry. It is to pause. When someone does something that upsets you, when somebody does something that makes you angry, lashing out is not the godly response. Pushing it down inside and staying silent about the things that frustrate you is not a godly response either. This is not easy. We need grace, the Spirit, and the Word. We need each other. Look, God created us with emotion. And I'm thankful for that because I really don't want to live in a world where we're reduced to something less than human beings, where we're simply automatons or Stepford-type people. God created us with emotion. He knows and understands our struggles as a result of sin in the fall. 
Yet he does not give us an excuse to think and feel and do whatever we please. Rather, he gives us his son to redeem us, his word to teach us, his spirit to work in us, and his grace to enable us. The question is, will we yield to him and take advantage of these gifts that he affords us? Do you want to be a slave to your anger and bitterness? Or do you want to see the fruits of righteousness produced in your life? If you do, the path is clear. What we need to do is absolutely clear. Staying on that path is another issue. Wanting to get on it in the first place is an even bigger one. My prayer for you is that you would exercise sound judgment in this way. That you would encourage one another to exercise sound judgment in this way. And that when you think biblically about the disciplines of mind and heart, you would deal with the reality of anger in a way that pleases God and is reflective of His grace in your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we indeed thank you for the days that you give us. We thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you for your care for us. We thank you that you love us and care for us enough to not let us go in our wayward way, but rather you teach us the way in which we should walk. You call us to a life of godliness and repentance and faithful servants. We pray, Father, you would give us what is required to walk this path, that you would open our minds and hearts to our own issues with anger, that you would give us grace to be more responsible with our feelings and our thoughts, and that you would give us the grace to bless and encourage and hold one another accountable, to be honest with ourselves before you and with one another. And Father, in so doing, we pray that we might be people marked by grace. And when we express outrage, that it would be the kind of moral outrage that reflects your divine image in us and not our whimsical reactions to our circumstances and the things around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day and a great weekend.